0: All oh, right, check this out. There was this husband and wife, and they were getting ready for bed. And the wife, she's uh, standing in front of this this really this full length mirror, and and she's really taking a just really good hard look at herself, you know. And so so the time she says she goes to her husband, she says, "You know, dear," she says, "I I, I look in this mirror, and, and I just see an old woman. I mean, I mean my face is all wrinkled, and and everything else is sagging or bloated, and my legs are getting big, and my arms are all flabby, and." She turns to her husband and says, Honey, tell me something positive to, to make me feel better about myself. And So the husband, he studies for a moment. He's thinking about what to say. And then he says in a, in a, a soft, thoughtful voice, He says, Well, there's nothing wrong with your eyesight. <laughs> uh, services for Bill Wimberly will be held this Friday at Racine Memorial. Uh, female friends of the family are invited to attend. Whoa. Thank you, Bill. Thank you for being here. Right. But, but here's the point. How many guys would say that uh, Bill was... Uh, he he kind of messed up his relationship there. You know what I'm saying? And, and you got to give him kudos, two thumbs up, whatever, uh, for you know, trying to give a compliment. Okay? But the problem was his so-called compliment turned out to be a detriment. Okay, And folks, believe it or not, I see the same thing happening to we Christians All the time. And it's not in just our earthly marriage do we mess it up. But it's in our spiritual message with Jesus Christ. And it's not when we say the wrong compliment. Listen. It's when we Christians actually consider spending time with God. As if it were a detriment. Can you believe that? No wonder it appears that our walk with Jesus looks like a funeral service. Okay. And and that's what we've been seeing. This is the question. How in the world did it get that way? Right? How in the world did it ever become a detriment to spend time with God, who's just the creator of the universe? Right? You put it in its context. When we first got saved, we, we couldn't wait to spend time with God. We longed for God. Here it is. We loved God. So what in the world happened? Well, folks, we've been seeing in our study. This is what I've learned over the years. It's simply this. When we lose sight of what we really do have in Jesus Christ, what he did die on the cross for, and that's a beautiful, loving, intimate, personal relationship with the creator of the universe. And folks, I'm telling you, it doesn't happen long. Just like with the illustration with the chair. Okay, once Jesus gets off the chair, once you lose sight of what we have in him, listen, just like that, overnight, your once vibrant, beautiful walk with Jesus just turned into a dry, stale, stupid, boring man made religion called churchianity, right? Not Christianity, churchianity, okay? And as we've been seeing, folks, this is an epidemic. It's a deadly disease, I believe, in the American church, okay? Once you get this thing, it's rotten to the core, okay? Uh, You usually cry out one of two things, help, I'm a Christian and I can't grow up, or help, I'm a Christian and I'm dead as a stump, okay? You ever been there spiritually? It doesn't, okay, it's like the old phrase, folks, if it ever feels like God moved, and it's a million miles away, guess who moved? Not God. We did. Okay. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to continue our study, renewing your faith. And what we're doing is we're revisiting all these so-called basics of Christianity, except this time we're doing it through a renewed set of eyes. We're looking at it again, the basics, through the eyes of a relationship with the creator of the universe. Now, if you were here the last two times, we saw the first basic thing we need to get renewed, and that's a renewed prayer life. Remember that? And what we saw last week, again, was prayer was not something mystical or magical. It's not something that only a super-duper spiritual elite can do. Anybody can do it. It's just having a normal, heartfelt conversation like you'd have with anybody else, except only this time, as amazing as it sounds, it's true, your audience is with God. That's all it is, okay? You don't need to cram in as many words as possible just to get it over with. You don't need to go through some secret list or formula. And you certainly don't need to speak in Shakespearean English. Lord thy Anybody speak that way normally? Okay? And guess what? You don't need to be doing that with God, okay? And once we get back to that, folks, once we realize that, it gets rid of the churchianity disease, okay? But that's not all. The second thing we need to get renewed, okay, is a renewed sense of what? Worship. What does it mean to worship God? Let's get back to the true context, okay? Open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 4. Amazing chapter of worship, okay? And uh, I think these these, uh, guys are really getting into it, okay? Open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 4. Absolutely amazing here. The throne room of God, okay? Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, okay? As we take a look here uh, at that passage, okay? These guys are getting into it, and I think they're going to tell us why, Okay? What is worship? Okay, Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. And here's what John says he saw going on in the throne of heaven. Okay, he said this, Now, after this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open, where? In heaven. Now, this is going on, folks, whether you and I see it or not. This is going on 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, if you will, in heaven. Okay, he says, "Here's what I saw." And a voice, uh, the voice that had pers- uh, heard speaking to me, was like a trumpet. Said, "Come up here, and I'll show you what must take place after this." at once he said I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it and the one who sat there had the appearance of of Jasper and Carnelian and there was this rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne and surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on them were 24 elders and they were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads and and from this throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder And, and before the throne seven lamps were blazing these are the seven spirits or seven-fold spirits of God. And also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass and clear as crystal. And in the center around the throne, there's these four living creatures. And they were covered with eyes in front and back. And the first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had the face like of a man. And the fourth was like a flying eagle. And each of the four living creatures had six wings. They covered their eyes all around, even under his wings, day and night. These guys never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. In fact, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, then the 24 elders, they fall down before him who sits on the throne. And what do they do? They worship him who lives forever and ever. And then they lay their crowns before the throne and then they kick in and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. Wow! How do you read that get excited. This is an absolutely amazing worship service recorded for us in heaven. Okay, and according to our text, it's obvious, folks, when somebody encounters the actual throne of God, the actual presence of the living God, be it an angelic being, be it a redeemed being, what is the natural instantaneous response? Worship. Instantaneous response is worship. What does it say there? They fell flat on their face. They chucked their crowns before them. And they they worshipped Him in reverent awe. And so the Bible says, listen, first of all, the greatest way that we here on earth can worship God, as Paul says, is with your life. Romans chapter 12 is very clear about it. This is your spiritual act of worship. Okay? Is to surrender your life. To God. That is your life now becomes a living sacrifice. You don't just worship God uh, on Sundays. It's every single day. Now, so that's the greatest way. But what I want to hone in on. Is this Christianese word that we use called worship. And when we say it. We kind of think, oh it's music. And it is. But again, by labor of the study, it's much more than that. But I am going to hone in on the music aspect, okay? And this is what I see is going on here today. We are to worship God certainly with our lives. But yes, there are times when we need to worship God with our mouth. What were these entities doing in heaven? They opened their mouth and said something in worship. Okay, oftentimes in song. Okay, this is what we call worship time. You ever wonder why we do what we do as Christians? How can we've got to stand up, sit down? How can we have this? Why is there an offering? Why is there... You ever wonder that? Yeah, I know you're out there, but you're too chicken to raise your hand. Okay, yeah. Well, pay attention. This is why we do. One of the ways we show an attitude of worship to God, and we're thankful for what He's done, He who lives forever and ever, and how awesome He is, is with songs. Okay, this is what we call worship time. And that's what they were doing in the text. Listen, they weren't just standing there. And this is what I saw, John says. And the Spirit uh, pulled me up into the heaven scene. And I saw everybody there just standing, staring at a bulletin, talking to somebody. Hey, what are you doing after lunch? No, it didn't, what, 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 what did do he do there? What were these people doing? I know they were... <laughs> I'm sorry, John. They were just mesmerized by that back wall that had the throne room that looked like a rainbow. They were going, wow, look at that rainbow. Isn't that awesome? No, that's not over there. there. They were were what? They They were getting into it. They were saying something. They were saying something in worship to God. All of heaven was busting out in praise and adoration to God. And they were getting into it. I don't know about you, but I have a hard time being calm reading that passage. When you start talking about God is holy, he's almighty. He is the one who lives forever and ever and ever and all that he's done. It's like, wow. And so here's the point, so that's what we see, listen, heaven doing now, which by the way, did you know as a Christian, that's where we're going. So I'm kind of thinking then, surely that's what we're doing with our worship time down here, right? We're getting ready for heaven. You might as well start practicing now. When we have an opportunity to praise God here on earth, like they do with music and singing, we're doing the same thing. We're busting out in praise and adoration to God. We're really getting into it. and It's awesome and it's... Wrong answer. It's not. And I think it's because we forgot what it's all about. Folks, let's be honest. For most of us, when it comes time to quote worship time or singing praises to God and adoration at the top of our lungs... It's about as exciting as what I'm about to show you. Now, I'm not making this up. I'm not making this up. You're going to think I am, but I'm not. I'm going to share with you an actual video of a choir demo tape. Now, it's not just an actual choir demo tape, but they actually entered their demo tape into a competition thinking they were going to win. You tell me, watching this choir, if they're going to win the competition. I'm not making this up. This is what they actually submitted to the competition. Let's take a look. Hey, all right now, fellows. Now, what's cool? I can't hear you. I said, "What's cooler than being cool?" Ice cold. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. right. Okay, now ladies. Yes. Now we are going to break this thing down in just a few seconds. Now don't have me break this thing down for
1: nothing. Here we go. (laughs) Shake it, 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 shake it like a
0: like a and the winner is NOT THEM! <laughs> what? Okay, I don't know, go back to our text, Revelation 4. I do not I just... That doesn't seem like how the angels were getting into it, you know what I'm saying? With all due respect. I, I don't know, maybe the angels down below, what was that noise? Oh, was that a demon thing? What's going on with that thing? I don't know. Okay? And, and I'm, not, I'm not talking just the quality, you're missing a point if you just focus on that. I'm talking about, did you see the people's expressions? Some weren't doing anything. Some were just staring at the thing. One lady was scratching her chin. One lady was sticking her tongue out, and then, oh, yeah, i got to sing. You know, I said, what? What is going on there? Okay? The point is, they weren't really putting their heart and soul into it. They were just staring into space or haphazardly doing it, okay? But that's not what we see in worship in our texts. All of heaven was busting out in praise to God. And that's what we should be doing as Christians. Okay? So we're going to get back to a renewed worship. And we're going to revisit this topic of worship. This Christian-y thing that we do every Sunday. And we're going to look at it through the eyes of a relationship. And I think it's going to instantly get back. Uh, get rid of that Christianity uh, stuff. And the first question, we're going to break it down. Just like we did with prayer. Is, alright then, why do we do it? Why do we worship God? I really hope that's not a a difficult question, but uh, we're going to take a look in the context now in Revelation chapter 5, and I think the answer is pretty clear. Okay, why do we worship God? Okay, let's take a look at that text. Revelation 5, 6 through 14. Now John says, then I saw a lamb. Remember, all this worship is going on. This worship service, they're getting into it, right? Now they see the lamb, Jesus. Okay, And looking as if he'd been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And the lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits or sevenfold spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he, Jesus, had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, what? They fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, an instrument, and they were holding gold and bowls full of incense, which is the prayers of God's people. And they what? They sang a new song saying you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood Jesus you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priest to serve our God and they will reign on earth and then I looked and I heard the voice listen to this choir. Many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. These guys encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders and in a loud voice there were saying, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth even under the earth and on the sea all in them saying this, to Him Jesus who sits on the throne, to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and what did they do? Stared at their him. They worshipped. Folks, again, that's another chapter. How do you, how do you to him who sits on the throne and the Lamb be praised. <laughs> what, <laughs> folks? This is. Can, can I simply translate what I believe the Apostle John is recording for us here in response to our question? All right. Why do we do it? Why do we have worship time every Sunday? Why? Do we, can, let me see if I can be as blunt as I can according to our text. Because he's worthy. Yeah. He's worthy. Are you crazy? Folks, after all Jesus Christ has done for us, who he is and the fact that he saved us, listen, he didn't save us from just a mediocre life. He saved us from eternal damnation and hell. He didn't have to, but he did. He did it by dying a horrible, gruesome death on the cross for our sins that we committed against him. And who in the world, when you consider that, of the lamb on the throne, who in the world would want to sing to him? When you keep that in mind. No wonder the text says they know, they admit it, they see it every day. Every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth is busting out in praise to Jesus Christ. Singing a song, a new song. They're joining the angels thousands upon thousands and ten thousands. Whoa! They're grateful. They're thankful. And believe it or not, folks, that's what we're supposed to be doing when we take communion. We're to have this kind of celebratory, worshipful attitude. I didn't say that, Jesus did. Let's break it down. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 24. The Lord Jesus, in the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said this. It's symbolic. This is what? This is my body, which is for you. So do this in remembrance of me. Okay. According to our text, during communion, Jesus calls us to do one thing first. And what he calls us to remember and reflect on with an attitude of worship during communion is that, first of all, his body was broken for us. Right? says it right there. Why? I think it's common sense. Because when you understand what Jesus Christ's body went through on the cross, you can't help but worship him. I mean, if you really understand what he went through so that our sins could be completely forgiven, woohoo, man, bring on the angels, you, wow. You worship him. It's, it's spontaneous. Yeah. I don't care how bad your day is. Yeah. You worship him. And again, I think this is part of our problem, guys, as Christians. I think that sometime we, we made this decision, we've either forgotten or we've just become flat-out numb to what our Lord Jesus Christ, what His body went through, so that we could go to heaven and not hell. We become numb to it. And for your information, did you know the cross is not just some Christian religious symbol to hang around your neck? It was a horrible instrument of suffering and death. and when the Bible says, and Jesus said, "His body was broken, man, it was broken. The cross was the firing squad. It was the hangman's noose. It was the gas chamber of its day. It was the means of which to listen, execute the worst of criminals. Only Jesus Christ was not a criminal. He was sinless. He was the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, of the world. He who knew no sin voluntarily died on the cross to take away our sin. Unless we think this is an easy thing to do, because I think we've cheapened the cross. This gets me, I don't know if it does you as a Christian. But when you see these people in the music industry, in the entertainment industry, and you know they're not following Jesus Christ. They wear these big giant gaudy crosses made of who knows how much gold and whatever. It's like, don't you dare put that around your neck. You have, you have, you have cheapened the cross of Christ. You have no idea what He did. How dare you sit there on the one breath and do what you do with the sin and promote sin and you wear the blessed cross of Christ. I think we've become numb to it. And I just want to open your eyes again. I want to share with you a short video on the cross of Christ. And this is just a little teaser. just a little teeny bit of what our Lord went through on the cross so that we could be forgiven. Okay, let's take a look at that.
1: Jesus has endured hours of misery, but the worst of the ordeal is yet to come. The nails that are used, uh, we have many of them uh, excavated here and there, they're usually quite long. Uh, they have a very large uh, head. The shank is square and cross-section, they're forged, they're quite pointed, because they're to be driven into very large timbers, that is through the person and into the wood. In quick succession, the nails are pounded into his feet and hands. There are many uh, cases in which, for example, an an injury to the hand uh, from a bullet or from even a a knife would cause what is called causalgia and initially the pain is felt just where the injury is. If the median nerve is ruptured or injured will also cause severe Excruciating, burning like pains, like lightning bolts, traversing the arm into the spinal cord. Now, we know from experiences in, during war, especially World War II, where did studies on a condition called causalgia, which is a condition caused by injuring the median nerve. The pain was so terrific that even morphine wouldn't help, and they had to actually operate on the spinal column in order to decrease uh, that pain or to eliminate uh, that type of pain. And it's so severe that if you blow on the skin of the hand where the pain is, the patient will scream abnormally. When a nail pierces the top of the foot, goes through the top of the foot, whether it went through uh, each foot separately or both feet, it would rupture or at least injure the plantar nerves, which go down in between each of the bones. The pain would be very similar to that of the hand because causalgia is the same medical condition, uh, causing severe lightning bolt-like pains right up the legs, burning, searing type of pains.
0: I don't know. Maybe it's just me, guys. I'm I'm thinking, you know, crucifixion is not a very fun way to go. It's a little painful. It's not just painful. You've got to put it in this context to get the full effect. Who in their right mind would not just die like that? But we're talking about Jesus here. Who would volunteer to die like that? And who would not just volunteer to die like that, but who would volunteer to die like that for people who sin against you, hate your guts, and want to have nothing to do with you? But that's what Jesus Christ did. This is why heaven's busting down the break. The lamb. This is what the lamb did. We all deserve to die, go straight into hell. But through the cross of Christ, we can be forgiven and go straight into heaven. Woo! Anybody excited about that? That will inspire you to worship. When you really reflect, you really do this in remembrance of me. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Yeah. That's worship. But, that's only half of it. You not only get inspired to worship by acknowledging his body, but also his blood. And this is what Jesus, in the context, says next. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25. In the same way, after supper, Jesus, now he takes the cup and he says this. This cup is the new covenant or contract in my blood. So do this, obviously as well, whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So Jesus in the context calls us to a second thing to remember, to reflect upon in an attitude of worship for what he's done during communion. And in case the first one didn't get you with his body being broken. Now he says you need to also reflect and remember what it means to have his blood, Jesus' blood spilled on our behalf. Why? Because when we understand, folks, what it means in its fullness... To have the blood of Jesus Christ shed in our behalf. Nobody can slap that worship off your lips. It's, it's amazing. And again, I think this is our problem as Christians. Over the years, I don't know what happened. But we either have forgotten, we've become numb to the amazing news that Jesus Christ's blood cleanses us from all our sins. Not some of them, all of them. When the Bible says that God will forgive us of our sins through Jesus Christ, listen, He doesn't just forgive some. He forgives every last single one of them. Past, present, and future. All means all. In fact, He does an amazing thing. He puts us into a whole different position with Him. Right now, God looks at us, listen, as if we've never sinned. God looks at us now because of the blood of Jesus, listen, different than what we see ourselves. He looks at us through those, if you will, rose-colored glasses. He only sees the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. So that means right now, not tomorrow, not in the future, not when you get in heaven. God sees us as if we'd never sinned. Listen, the scripture uses this word. You have become spotless. Without blemish. Listen, the scripture uses the word he calls each born-again Christian, a saint. Saint in the Greek is hagias, it means holy one. God, right now, through Jesus Christ, His blood, considers you, yes, you, Christian, I don't care what you did this morning, I don't care what you did last night, I don't care how your week went, you're a holy one, and so shall it always be now, forever. One guy, I love how he puts it, he, he says this, he says, you know what, I used to have this fear of going to heaven, going like, oh, to heaven, what are you talking about, man? He said, well, you know, I figured, you know, if I was a non-Christian, at least if I went to hell, they wouldn't say, hey, you're not good enough to be here. <laughs> he said, but I always had this, I had this worry that he says, when I went to heaven, he says, I I, I thought they were going to do something like this. I thought I'd get there. And all of a sudden they pull down this big old giant screen. Right? And then on that big old giant screen in front of all of heaven, they would start to play a recording of all my sins. And he says, and then my mother would be there. Right. He says, listen to what the scripture teaches. He says, listen, people, I don't know if they have a tape recording all of my sins. And I don't know if they have a tape recording all your sins. But there, if there is such a tape, I got good news for you. Jesus Christ has erased your tape. blood of Jesus. That's what he he says. Listen, the scripture says your sins have been blotted out. They're buried in the deepest sea. They're remembered no more. And he says, that thrills me to not just have my sins forgiven, but totally forgotten. Which means, he says, one day I'm going to be walking with the Lamb on the throne. One day I'm going to be walking with Jesus. With all my sins forgiven and forgotten. Buried in the deepest sea. remembered no more. And listen with the record that is spotless. That is without blemish. That is washed clean. My sins are purged. I will be able to embrace the Father and say, Abba, Father. That's what it means to have the blood of Jesus forgiving us. Here's the point. Boy, that'll kind of inspire some worship out of you. Really hard to just kind of stare at the bulletin at that point. Scratch your chin a little. (laughs) What? What this, who in the right mind put it in this context who in the right mind would not only listen forgive those you didn't just die the death on the cross but now you forgive those who sinned against you hated your guts but you didn't just forgive them you've forgiven them so completely that now they can be presented forever and ever and ever and ever before God the Father as if they never sinned in the first place that is love that will inspire you to worship. So here's the point in answering the question. i to set you all up to this. Now let's go back to that question. Of why do we worship God? Why do we take all the time? Not just studying the scripture. We'll get to that. Bible study. Not just in prayer. We already saw that. But why do we Christians have this thing when we get together? It's worship time. Because of that. Heaven's doing it forever. And we're headed there. I think it's high time we remember what it's about. And get busy doing it now. It's a relationship with the Creator. So here's the point. Why do we worship God? Because He's worthy. The Lamb is worthy. He's more than worthy. And therefore, here's the point. He is worthy, therefore, of our best songs. Not leftovers. He's worthy of our best songs. He's worthy of our best heart. He's worthy of the best introduction we could ever come up with. Hey, here's an idea. What if we started our worship services with this kind of introduction? Maybe that would change the attitude. What if we introduced Jesus this way? Let's take a look. If I had the pleasure of bringing out
2: Christ, this is just how I would do it. It ain't got to be the way you do it. You might not think it's just right, but this is how I would do it. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my honor to introduce a man who needs no introduction. His credits are too long to list. He has done the impossible time after time. He hailed out of a manger in Bethlehem, Jerusalem by way of heaven. His mother is still headlining in the Catholic Church today. His daddy is the author of a book that has been on the bestseller list since the beginning of time. He holds the record for the world's greatest fish fry. He's fed 5,000 hungry souls with two fish, five loaves of bread. He can walk on water, turn water into wine, no special effects, no camera tricks. He has a headshot on every church fan across the country. Even Before the kings of comedy, he was hailed, the king of all kings, ruler of the universe, Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, the bright and the morning star. Some say he's the Rose of Sharon and some say he's the Prince of Peace. Get up on your feet, put your hands together and show your love for the second coming of the one and only. God has been good.
0: Imagine, that's not a concert hall or a stadium. Imagine that's a church sanctuary. That's how you started your services. Can I tell you something? It needs to be that way. Can I tell you something? To me, that's a modern vernacular of Revelation chapter 4, Revelation chapter 5. Get up off your feet, show your love for the second coming of who? Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the ruler of the universe, the lamb who is worthy to open the scroll. He was slain before the creation of the world. Why? So that we could be forgiven, so that we could be loved and accepted by God forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. That's why we worship God. That's why we don't stare at the bulletin. That's why we can care less what's going on later today. We bust out in praise with all of heaven, with the ten thousands upon thousands upon thousands of because he is worthy of our worship. And if we really keep this in mind, it's awfully hard to sound like, that demon thing going on. Yeah. But when we keep that in mind, I'd say we would not only get more out of Communion worship time. But any time we gather together for worship, including Sundays, that's why we worship. Amen? Amen. Okay. Second question is, uh, all right, what is worship? That's why we worship. I think it's common sense because he's worthy. Hello. Okay. But what is it? Well, thanks for asking, Holly. We'll have to get to that, Lord willing, next week. Let's go ahead and pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But before you go, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today, that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things with you. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the Bible also says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness is death. In other words, when we die, and it's coming for each one of us, we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, but it's gonna happen. The Bible says, therefore, since the wages of our sin is death, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and not to heaven. And that's bad enough, but to make matters worse, we don't want to admit this. God already knows. He knows uh, all of our behavior, everything, our thoughts, what we've done, what even we're going to do. He knows it all. He's gone. Even though he already knows this, we don't want to admit this. And so out of love and mercy, God gave us something called his law or the Ten Commandments. It's kind of like his x-ray into our heart to show us what he already knows, that he is holy and that we are not. And it's this unholiness or sin that separates us from him. Let's take a look at God's x-ray, if you will, his divine law, to show us what he already knows. The Ten Commandments, uh, the ninth one, says this, you shall not bear false witness. Okay, that's called lying. Okay, okay. And if you've ever told a lie once, which we all have, myself included, the Bible says that makes you a liar. Okay. The, the, another commandment says, you shall not steal. Okay. Uh, and you might think, well, that's something that everybody does. Well, it doesn't make it right, and it demonstrates what God is trying to show us, that uh, we all have sin, and it's separating us from him. Even if you took a pencil in the third grade from somebody, if you did it without permission... That's stealing. And so now you've become a thief. The Bible says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And how interesting it is and unfortunate that the only name under heaven by which men might be saved, the name Jesus Christ, has now become a common cuss word. The Bible says that God is so holy that even his name is holy. If you've taken the Lord's name in vain and used it as a cuss word or even flippantly, the Bible calls that the sin of blasphemy. And so now you become a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus says if you even look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. And finally, the Bible says uh, you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? Well, again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred is the same as the sin of murder. The only difference is you pulled the trigger, if you will, in your heart you wish they were dead and in god's eyes it's the same thing in principle folks that's only just a couple of the ten commandments we didn't even go through all of them but i think you're starting to get the picture the bible is correct we have all fallen short of the glory of god myself included and that we are separated from god as a result and so when our time comes we're not automatically going to heaven we are headed for judgment we are headed for hell Now let me tell you the good news. The good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to save us. Jesus Christ died on the cross. It was the death penalty of its day. He paid in full uh, the price for our sins to be forgiven. Let me give you an analogy. For instance, even today, we could see that a person could commit a crime uh they they cannot reverse it the the sentence has been passed the judge has uh, slammed his gavel and they are ushered off into their jail cell and in this particular crime they are going to receive the death penalty and so they're behind bars just waiting for the time waiting for the call for them to go and uh, receive the death penalty but believe it or not as we know there is a way that a person can get off a death row and that is if the one in authority the governor